Inside the Arc. I'm your host, Alex Bussey, joined as always by Brandon Simberg, who's had quite a busy day driving back from Columbus, Ohio to Champaign. Brandon, how was the drive? Any uh, mishaps on the way home? No, no mishaps. I uh, I got to stop drinking so much water on these road trips because I cost myself like 30 minutes at least just going to the bathroom and whatnot. But, um, <laughs> but no, yeah, Columbus was good. Obviously, it was a great basketball game yesterday. Now I'm here watching Michigan State play Michigan. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to Mike Latulip, one of my favorite guests on our show. Yeah, I'm always really happy to talk to Mike Latulip. We'll get to that just a little bit later. But before we get to that, Brandon, just want to get some quick brief thoughts about this Illinois 73-68 victory over the number seven Ohio State Buckeyes. Obviously, Io Dosumu makes his return to the Illini's lineup, scores 19 points, ties Andre Curbelo for the team high there. And Io does Io things, right? He gets a game-winning field goal with 44 seconds left on a layup, uh, gets a game-winning rebound on the defensive glass. What, 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 were we expecting anything different from Io in a mask? Obviously, finishes with 19 points, like I said, and four rebounds and three assists and just the one turnover. But in all of that in 36 minutes with a broken nose, should, should we have expected anything less from Io DeSumo with a broken nose? Yeah, I mean, it, it turns out, Illinois is actually probably not better without IO. Uh, I, I don't like, I don't really think that that take was floating on the internet, but who knows, man, the internet's a weird place. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I look great. And I thought like the first, the first time they played Ohio state, they have some bigger wings, you know, justice suing's a little bit longer. Arn's a little bit longer. Like they definitely have some length on the wing. And I was worried about IO's ability to, uh, create against them because he'd struggled. But Io was not only scoring the ball well, but scoring the ball efficiently. I think he was seven for 10. So I was impressed with his ability to score efficiently and kind of ease into the game. Like he, you know, it felt like for the first eight minutes he was coasting. And then, well, again, once they need him down the stretch, he took over. I mean, we're running out of things to say about Io at this point in this season. But yeah, he was sensational again. And no, I'm not surprised with Io's performance. And I know you're not. No, I'm not. I think it's really funny. You and I were having our text conversation as well. Well, these three games that I missed probably take him out of the conversation for big time and national player of the year and Illinois success without him probably may have hurt that a little bit as well, but to see him come back. And I think my phrase for him to maybe come back and get that conversation back was going God mode. I don't know if 19 points and four rebounds and three assists is necessarily going God mode. Um, but it's definitely a really good game, and it's a good sign for Illinois fans to be able to see that their superstar is coming back from a pretty serious injury, obviously a broken nose and a concussion, and playing with the mask, which he even said was unique and uncomfortable, I think was another word he used there, to really help Illinois get over the hump late in the second half. I don't think we can talk about this game, though, without talking about Andre Corbello and DeMonte Williams. Brandon, Andre Corbello to me looks like Illinois is our best player over the last few games. In that same conversation, I guess, with Trent Frazier, Corbello scores 19 points, six of eight from the field, makes six of his seven free throws. The kid is a rebounding machine. He grabs five rebounds, uh, six assists. Again, his turnovers, he had just one. Demonte Williams, somehow, out of nowhere, E.J. Liddell, my dude, E.J. Liddell, yes, I'll say it again, is going off, doing his thing. I think he scored 10 points in like a minute long stretch or something for Ohio state. And I think all Illinois fans are probably thinking, Oh, great. Like here comes this home state kid to torch us once again, Demonte Williams steps up and defends him for the last few minutes and holds him down. So what are you kind of taking away from their two performances on Saturday? 
Yeah, I think at the beginning of the year, our biggest concern with this team is, okay, we know what we're getting from Io and we know what we're getting from Kofi, but where like does the other production come from? And like there were times when it was DeMonte, there was times when it was Adam Miller, there was times when it was Trent Frazier, there was times when it was Andre Carbello, but it wasn't consistent. And a lot of their losses, it really was just the two guys. So the fact that Trent Frazier has been really solid for a month, like I, this has been a really good month of basketball for Trent Frazier, and Andre Carbello has been really solid since uh, Io went out, that has to be a that has to be a really good feeling for Brad Underwood and for Illinois. I think that he is I think that both guys are super important to their success. And with them playing like this, that's I think what takes Illinois to another level. Like I don't think it matters how much Io and Kofi score. You need two of the next three or four guys to be productive. And Corbello and Frazier certainly have. And then you mentioned Demonte Williams. It's amazing to me how much the perception of him has changed over the past year. You know, last year at this time, if he was taking a wide open game time three, Ohio State's like, yeah, go ahead. You know, that's we, we're going to live with that. And now I feel like he, every time he's open and he's shooting a three, it's going in. It is an incredible transition. I think all three of those guys have stepped up immensely. Yeah, yeah and I think that that's maybe the biggest reason why Illinois found a way to win 10 of their last 11 Big Ten regular season games is – They've had these other players really step up and really contribute. You hit on Trent Frazier over the last month. Jacob Grandison, someone we haven't mentioned. Grandison put up nine points on Saturday against Ohio State. He grabbed four rebounds, and he only got like five or so minutes in the second half, but he was great in the first half for Illinois. He's gotten to the point where he's active, cutting to the basket, and he seems to be finding the open man. He had that great pass to Io DeSumo on that back cut, uh, early in the first half or midway through the first half. I think that was Io's second or third bucket. But you see all those things kind of trend develop. And Jacob Grandison just seems to be kind of the key to it as well. And and even like a Georgie Bishanishvili, who I think this season has been such a roller coaster for Georgie. We've seen the ultimate highs, the way he played against Baylor when Kofi's out for two minutes. But then we've seen some really really low points for him as well but to see him still find a way to have a pretty good game on Saturday against Ohio State despite not having a field goal attempt he makes two of his three field goals he grabs four rebounds in 15 minutes and I know he was a minus in the plus minus but I thought he was decent on the defensive end especially in the first half probably a little bit above average when Kofi was on the bench I know EJ probably got a few buckets off of Georgie there in the second half but Overall, I feel like Georgie had a pretty good game as well yesterday. 100%. And, like, you know, we've talked to Georgie a lot in the media availabilities, and we've talked about his story, how it's – you know, that man hasn't seen his family in so long. And, like, that's got to be such an emotional grind for him. So I, I understand why he's having an up-and-down year. I mean, I'm a, I'm a college student. It's like I have tough days, and I, those days I wish I was home. So, did, like, for, I can't even imagine being in his shoes. So, like, I just – I respect the hell out of him as a person. And as a player, he's – He's been impactful and he's been good. I think he did a good job on Saturday or on Saturday against Ohio State, being able to switch out on those Liddell pick and pops. Um, it, he, like he's more he's more mobile than Coburn, and I think that was that was a key part of it. So, yeah, I think I think every Illinois player that played on Saturday made a major contribution to them getting a win in some way, shape, or form. I mean, in my player grades, I forget what I gave Georgie, a B plus maybe, I don't know. 
But I said Illinois doesn't win the last two games against Michigan and Ohio State without him, without his – this is going to sound corny – his, like, spiritual leadership. I mean, I don't know if you saw – obviously you were there. Georgie's the one bringing them into the huddle in the second half when he's on the floor at a, at a dead ball timeout. And that's when Illinois is down. Georgie's a spiritual leader when he's on the court and he's in his good spirits and just bringing good energy. That Georgie Bichonich Philly is so important to this Illinois team. And they've gotten him the last week. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Obviously, I think we can all agree the Michigan win was the biggest and best win of the season. Is winning at Ohio State number two? I don't know. I think that I think when you group it together with Michigan, it probably is. But I don't know if Illinois fans in general are going to say that. I think a lot of Illinois fans probably still point to that Iowa win back in, what was that, February? Early February, late January. I think a lot of them still probably point to that one being such a great moment this season. There's been so many great moments. Uh, I think you can even point to, like, the road win at Minnesota, as silly as that sounds. But I think that that's a moment that Illinois fans probably look at. Like, that's the team that we're watching now. That's a majority of what we've seen over the last month. And that's the team that Illinois has turned into. So, yeah, yeah, I guess I would probably say Ohio State's right in there with that conversation with going and beating Iowa back in, was that January, early February, like I said? Yeah, I, I think Iowa is number two for me. And like Ohio State, the Ohio State win was huge because of the timing of the game. And like you said, kind of coming off of the Michigan game and the fact that it secured a one seed. But if they hadn't beaten Iowa, if Iowa had a win over them on their home floor in January, you know, that may, maybe makes it look different in a way. So if, for me, it's still Iowa because I do think they're the next best team in the Big Ten and they're a bigger rival to Illinois. Um, but yeah, I think Ohio state's third and although your point about winning at Minnesota and just demoralizing them at the barn, that's a good point, but Minnesota, I couldn't believe this today. They're 13th in the big 10 right now. Yeah, I know. And what's really interesting is I think Illinois demoralizing them and embarrassing them on their home floor might have led to the Minnesota players kind of, and I don't cover Minnesota, but just watching them, their players just look dejected. They don't look engaged. They don't look like in a way they've looked like they've quit on Richard Pitino. Yeah, I, I feel bad for him. His, like, his tenure in Minnesota is probably over. But I, this is a team that had wins over Michigan and Iowa. And I'm not sure if they beat Ohio State, but they had some huge wins earlier in the year, and they just they crumbled. But you're right. Maybe that Illinois just demoralized. They demoralized them twice, too. They demoralized yeah. them in Champaign. But to just kick the crap out of them on their mighty barn court, like, yeah, that – that was bad. <laughs> Minnesota did beat Ohio State at the barn earlier this year, and that was a pretty convincing win. All right, let's get to this interview with Mike Latulip. He is uh, one of our favorite guys. Obviously, I think this is maybe the third or fourth time we've had him on. His analysis is second to none. So let's get to this interview with Mike Latulip. All right, we're now happy to be joined by Mike Latulip, one of our favorite guests, obviously reoccurring, like I mentioned a little bit earlier. Mike, I just kind of wanted to start off this conversation looking really macro at first. My freshman year at Illinois two years ago, Illini won just 12 games. Mm-hmm. Now, two years later, I think it's pretty understandable. They probably clinched a one seed. How? Uh, look, we're on Zoom right now. I can see the smile on your face, and it's reciprocated um, for me as well. I think it's as you're watching that Ohio State game yesterday and you see the ESPN flash the one seeds 
on the screen and the two seeds on the screen and seeing, seeing Illinois in that line is, is, is somewhere I think every fan knows this, this program belongs. And, um, you know, if you're, you know, if you're younger, right, if you're in your 20s, 20 to 25 years old, you may not understand uh, fully the the history of Illinois and Illinois basketball. And um, and this is where this this program should be. And and that's easier said than done. I think a lot of teams and a lot of programs have that dream of being in there consistently. And um, but the way that Brad Underwood's built this up and the way that uh, the pieces that he's brought in to to facilitate that is you know i can't say enough about it and it's it's a beautiful thing when you look at each part of the process with recruiting and then once you do bring in the recruiting the the coaching that has to take place to put that culture uh and and make that culture what it is uh and then having the players that are receptive to that having the players that are that have the ability to to take that on uh to understand what it means to hold each other accountable to understand what it means uh, to have a consistent program and to to do the right thing on a daily basis, and that's not just within the lines, right? That's in the locker room. That's that's in the classroom. That's that's in the community. Um, and I think th- this year more than ever, you see a team that uh, has taken these COVID protocols extremely serious. Uh, you know, they haven't. Knock on wood. Obviously, they haven't had any issues. Uh, and I think that shows. You know, they're. Uh, their, their heightened awareness, to, you know, in terms of what this means, what this year means to the program. Um, and, and the beauty of it is, I think I, I said it a couple months ago that this team was never going to be a finished product in, in January and even in February. And, and now you hit March and it, this is, this is the team that everybody envisioned. Uh, and everybody thinks that you, you work in the off season. And then once the first game hits, you know, it's, it's just, you know, that's who you're going to be the rest of the year. And, and if you're not in the place everybody wants you to be in the first five games, you know, that the season isn't worth a damn. And that's just not the case. Good teams uh, and young teams like this team is, uh, they find a way to get better throughout the year. And, and I think that's, uh, like I said, that's easier said than done too, because there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of trials and tribulations uh, as you go through a season uh, and they've been able to weather that storm. You know, you, you've had freshmen that are a little bit inconsistent, and um, but they're starting to peak at the right time. And I think that's a credit to uh, to these older guys, to these seniors. You know, Trent and Demonte, and um, and then Io and Kofi. Uh, their consistency, not only in their games, but uh, you know, but their approach and and the way that they've come to work every day, and 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 kind of set the foundation of hey, this is this is how we do things at Illinois. And I think all of that is uh and then the, and the coaching staff putting them all in great spots to be successful i think that doesn't that, that shouldn't go unsaid as well so all of that is kind of a culmination of uh the, the spot that they're in right now i think this week mike is probably something that most Illini fans can probably point to and remember for a really long time going on the road and beating michigan by 23 points with out your national player of the year candidate and then Io comes back and he's got this black mask on and he kind of just looks like a superhero coming in to save the day. You clinch a one seed by beating number seven, Ohio state and beating someone who has really torn you apart since Brad Underwood got here, save Io's freshman year and his buzzer beater out there, not buzzer beater game winning shot out there and each Liddell's torn Illinois apart every single game. And you're able to overcome his push in the second half. What does this week do for, a fan base and even a former player like yourself, that's really just been starving for 
a moment like this over the last 10 years? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's hard for me to say this because it sounds extremely biased, but to me, Illinois is, they're my favorite team to watch in the country. And, and I truly believe that I would say that even if I didn't have an Illinois degree and didn't play basketball at Illinois, like this, the way that they do it. Um, and, and I thought, I thought it was really uh, the way that that game ended against Ohio state was really a microcosm of what this program has turned into, right. Where you have this, this senior leadership where Dwayne Washington Jr. just was forced into tough shot after tough shot at the end due to Trent, due, due to Trent Frazier. Um, DeMonte Williams steps up, not only just hitting the big three to tie it at 68, but, you know, having to, having to give up four to five, six inches on EJ Liddell um, and root him out of the lane and force him into some tough shots at the end. Uh, and then Io being Io and doing what he did. I didn't even, I didn't even think Koki played particularly well yesterday, um, you know, but, but in the moments – you know, that he had in the beginning to kind of get them going, a couple and ones, a couple easy shots around the rim. Um, that's what I love about this team is each guy can have their different moment in the game to help Illinois when they need to or, or, or when they need it the most, right? Andre Corbello, I thought, was just a steady influence, you know, throughout the entire game yesterday. And, uh, and I think what these last four or five games have done for his growth have done for his confidence going into, uh, you know, going into the tournament, to tournament time, the Big Ten tournament, the NCAA tournament. Look, this is a guy, I've always said it, like he's a showman. And, and the more fans you put in the stands, the, the bigger the game is, the, the better Andre Curbelo plays. And, and, and from here on out, you're going to have fans in the stands. Each, each game does have a ton of meaning to it. Um, where he can mature is understanding, you know, hey, when we play these games against – you know, some bottom feeders in the league. Like we need you, you know, we need you to bring it that night too. And it's not saying that he doesn't bring it that night. It's just more of a maturity thing where he thinks that, you know, it's going to be a little bit easier because it's these, these teams. And then he goes in and plays against Michigan and, you know, scores 11 of their first 16 points. And, um, but it means a lot. Like, I think it means a lot for, you know, not only the fans and, and not only, uh, you know, uh, not only me as a former player and, and all of us former players, but, it means a lot for the staff and it means a lot for these players too. Cause it, what it does is it reaffirms, you know, Hey, if we do the right things and, and hey, if we build this culture, the way that we built it, these are the rewards. Like these, you know, these are the, the benefits that we reap. So, um, so I think what that does is it gives Andre Garbello and these younger guys who, who want to continue to build this tradition, even beyond this year, um, a, a year to look at and say, Hey, you know what, when we do things the right way, you know, when we play for each other, when we hold each other accountable, all of this, the one seed, you know, finishing second in the Big Ten, the most wins in the Big Ten, regardless of what happens in this Michigan-Michigan State game, um, they've clinched the most wins in the Big Ten uh, for the regular season. And all of that is a byproduct of what they've done, um, what they've done throughout the year consistently, uh, not wavering, even when the fan base wanted to jump ship after the Ohio State loss in, in, in January, um, because it felt like the goalpost kept moving for this team. Right. And they, they've really taken that in stride and embraced that. And I think it's, it's part of what makes this past week so special is because with everything on the line and, and, you know, I look at the Michigan state game, I, I was the first one to say it, like, you know, I thought they looked a little tight at Michigan state, you know, like you could feel the one seed, you could feel the big 10 championship. Um, 
but I think they just let they let it fly these these last three games and all three games on the road against historically good programs and you know in the Big Ten and you can't say enough about what they've done the effort they've given and and how it set them up for you know for the rest of March and hopefully early April. So looking kind of smaller now at this last week, you're going in, I didn't love either the Michigan or the Ohio state matchup. You know, Michigan has a lot of length and that's kind of bothered Illinois so far this season. And Ohio state, we've already seen beat Illinois and, you know, each day Liddell with his pick and pop ability can be kind of a matchup problem. So how do you think Illinois maybe handled this, these accents and O's this week and were able to pull out wins in both these games? Yeah, I think it's uh you know, when you can marry both the toughness aspect of, of what, what's required of you in a Big Ten basketball game and the schematic aspect, you know, the, the game plan, and, and when you can truly marry those two and then you have talent on top of that, it's really – it's I'm telling you, man, it's, it's really, really hard to beat. Um, and I thought that's what they did in both of those games. Uh, Michigan, just for starters – they one, they were the tougher team. There was no question about that. But let's look on the second part of it. It's a, and it's a very simple game plan. But hey, we're going to ice these ball screens on the sideline. Um, and and for, for anyone that doesn't know what icing the ball screen means, uh, when you're guarding, you know, when you're guarding somebody on the wing and, and the bigs coming in to set a ball screen, you're flipping your body towards the sideline, right? To keep the ball on that side. And then the big man who's guarding the ball screen kind of corrals it on that side of the floor. And what it does for a team like Michigan, Michigan gets going. Isaiah Livers and and Franz Wagner, they're all products of, you know, there are some of the parts, right? So, you know, they're all products of the ball hopping around the, around the arc and getting open shots. And um, typically those open shots create rotations, rotations create these offensive rebounds and these offensive rebounds create second chance points. And when you stay out of rotation, when you keep the ball on one side, when you don't give up offensive rebounds, it's really hard to beat this Illinois team. It's really hard to beat any team that um, that is able to do that. And then, and then with Ohio State, um, I thought the guys looked so crisp and, and confident. And um, second chance opportunities hurt them in the first half uh, against Ohio State. And then you look in the second half, you know, you're, you're thinking again, man, are we about to have this Grim Reaper EJ Liddell uh, beat us again? And you got to credit Brad Underwood. Like he, he made the call there at the end, and I'm sure his assistants had a part in that as well. You know, Georgie, Georgie was a little slow getting back from the ball screen to recover back to EJ Liddell. Um, you know, I'm thinking in the moment, man, we maybe just need to have a guy on the weak side that's able to stunt a little bit to to make EJ think about it. And once he can think about it for a second, Georgie has time to recover and get back. But going to Demonte down the stretch. Um, you know, I thought it was a brilliant move. I thought really DeMonte or Grandison would, would have done a good job in them, but DeMonte specifically, um, when you give up the height like that, I've always, I've always said, you know, when you can put a tough, smaller guy uh, on a bigger offensive player, it can throw the, the opposing team's offense off a little bit. And, and what I mean by that is they focus so much on exploiting the mismatch that they actually get kind of taken out of what they want to run. Um, and, and I thought yesterday that was, that was kind of the deal there at the end, you had Trent forcing really tough shots for Dwayne Washington jr. And then when they did want to force feed Liddell into like the, you know, seven, eight foot area, DeMonte was rooting them out to, to 13, 14 feet and forcing these, these fadeaway jumpers. And, and that's exactly, those are the type of shots you want to force within that offense. Um, 
so yeah, it was, it was a blend, right. It was a blend of toughness and physicality and confidence, uh, and then a, a great game plan. And, and that's, that's, what's really neat because you can have one without the other, like, right. You can play with toughness and physicality, but if you're not thinking the game, you know, then, then there's those mental lapses, right? Like there's those breakdowns of, Hey, we want to ice this ball screen. And if we let this guy really come off the ball screen, then we actually have no help. And now the ball's cooking around the arc for a team like Michigan, who's, you know, top five, top 10 offense in the country. Um, and then when you're allowing them to get good shots, you're allowing them to also set their defense, which is top five, top 10 in the country. So that's the part where, you know, they were able to to bring those two parts of, of the game together, the, the mental and physical side. And um, like I said, when you, when, when you're, when you're icing on the cake is the talent that they have I'm telling you, man, they're, they're, they're going to be a tough out. So I, I don't want to say that IO getting hurt was a good thing because it's not whenever your star player gets concussion, has a broken nose, has to wear a face mask for the rest of the season. That's, that's not ideal, but I do think it helps unlock some, some other guys. And one of them being Andre Curbelo, who excelled in those three games when Desumu sat and then was really good next, uh, on Saturday next to Desumu in the lineup. What do you think, kind of Corbello getting the keys to the offense for those three games maybe did for his confidence and just how important is it to have that confidence down the stretch? I think it did a lot for his confidence. You got to think about a guy coming from, you know, coming from high school and, and I'm sure since he was, since he's held a basketball in his hands, he's probably always had the keys to the car. Right. Like, and, and, and that was just more of his natural, you know, in the spot that he felt, I don't think it bothers him at all. You know, some people really put stock in whether or not they're starting or not. And they get inside their head of, you know, I don't feel as in rhythm or, you know, I, I, I feel more in rhythm when I start the game. And Andre Curbelo, I think, is, he's just a gamer. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you start him or put him in with 16.07 left in the, in the first half. Um, he comes in. And, and I think the really cool aspect of it is Brad Underwood sticking to his guns. And when everybody was calling for Andre Curbelo to start earlier in the year, you know, I thought this was huge. Uh, what he's been able to do coming off the bench in the last, in the last couple of games, I think is, I'm not going to say it's won them the game, but it's, it's certainly given them a boost. So, um, so yeah, I'm looking for him to, to, to maintain this type of confidence. But the, the other cool thing is he's been shooting the ball. Well, um, you know, and he, he's not burning the nets off by any means, but, but he's hit a couple open jumpers and, and what that does for your game and your, and your mentality and your confidence and, and what that does for a defender. Cause if he's hitting shots like that and, and they may not guard him, you know, out there this year, but if he can start hitting those shots next year as well, what it does for a dude that's lethal off the dribble is the defenders got to get a little closer to you. Like you had to start honoring the shot a little bit. And once you do that, once he's even closer to you, he's even easier to go by. So, you know, I, I'm looking at a guy that even next year, like I, and typically those guys make the biggest jump, like freshman to sophomore year. It's a, it's a full year, full spring and summer in the weight room, right? It's a full spring and summer to say, okay, hey, what are some things that, that I need to work on that, that worked last year that didn't work last year? Um, I, I truly believe that, that the sky's the limit for this kid. And, and, and I think he's a much better athlete than people give him credit for. Um, he's obviously a freak off the dribble and, and his, his pace and um, just his ability to think the game on the fly. There was, there was the play yesterday. Uh, there was about 13 minutes left in the game. Um, man, I made it 50, 45 Illinois, if I'm recalling correctly, but um, 
they were swinging the ball around and, and there ended up being a switch and, and EJ Liddell was on Andre Curbelo and Andre Curbelo was coming in, you know, kind of cutting across the top of the wing on the top of the key. And I think he noticed out of the corner's eye that Liddell was on him. So he got, he kind of made this cut from about 30 feet out to get a head of steam going downhill and Liddell couldn't stay with him and he laid it. It was an easy layup. And it's just, it's, it's little plays like that where you watch him and you're like, man, this is a dude that, just has basketball on his blood, um, you know, and, and he's only going to get better. And yesterday was just another game where you look at the 19 points, six assists, you know, five just big rebounds. Like he was flying in there and tracking the ball and um, and then two turnovers, you know, for a guy that played 30 minutes. And, and uh, I'm not saying Ohio State is, you know, a great defensive team by any means, but, um, you know, but they're they're a good team. You know, they're a good defensive team. So, you know, I thought that was that was something that I, is going to help his confidence moving forward. And like I said, he's a, he's a gamer. He's a showman. And the more the bigger these games get, the, you know, the, the, the better Andre Grabello is going to play. I, it's funny you pointed out that specific play. I only like tweeted and clipped a few plays from the game yesterday. But that specific one stood out to me just and he does that often where he will like run into the catch to get some momentum to blow by his guy, like you said, and that just that just shows high IQ. Um, and so we kind of talked about shooting there a bit with Curbelo, but in terms of shooting improvement, I mean, Demonte Williams, I talked about a year ago, that's a guy that any opposing team is like, you take this open three, by all means, t- take this shot. And then yesterday he hits, you know, if Io shot is the biggest shot of the game, then the second biggest shot of the game, a three-pointer from the wing to tie the game, um, how important has his shooting improvement been this season? Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Io's shot being the biggest shot. I'd argue DeMonte's is the biggest because without DeMonte's, Io's doesn't even happen. So it's, it's uh, you know, I look at DeMonte and, you know, let's, let's go back and think about his freshman and sophomore year, junior year, like, you know, wasn't a threat from the outside. And, and, and guys can go one of two ways with that. You know, I, I had teammates myself when I was at Illinois where when they noticed that teams weren't guarding them, like straight up, we're not guarding you, we're letting you shoot. And I thought, I thought Andre Curbelo went through this a little bit this year. It kind of messes with you. Um, you know, like you would think it's, you know, you think it's, on, it's like counterintuitive to think that, but like, oh, I'm more wide open, I'm going to make shots. And um, I thought it messed with DeMonte for a while, well, his sophomore year and early in his junior year. And then I think he got to the point his junior year where he really put some fluidity and pace into his shot. Um, when I say pace, I just mean, you know, he, he found a way to, to really take these shots at his, at his own pace and not rush them. And, and he knew he was going to get open ones. So, you know, he was able to step in, take his time. And, and I think I said it earlier in the season, but if you want to talk mechanically, I think mechanically DeMonte has the, probably the most mechanically sound shot on the team. Um, you know, his, his percentages in years prior probably don't, uh, don't speak to that. But I think now when you find a guy that, you know, not only for one, his percentages as high as it is, not only because he's, he's slowed down his shot and he's, he's not rushing, but he's taking good ones. Um, I thought there was maybe one in the first half yesterday that he yanked from the right wing that was a little uncharacteristic, but the dude's shooting 55%. So if he gets any, if he gets any clean look at the basket, you got to let it, let him heave it. But 
Uh, I think there's other aspects of his game that have allowed him to to be more settled on the offensive end, right? Like being that glue guy, being the guy that takes on the tougher matchups defensively. And um, all of that is a big deal, uh, you know, when you come down the stretch and then you don't have to be so focused on, man, I, I, I got to make shots or I feel like I'm, I'm not worth a damn on this team. Like th- that's all the, his shot making is icing on the cake for what DeMonte Williams brings to this team. It's just been a really, really added uh, bonus this year. And, and I think, Part of that is, you know, that's Andre Corbello and Ayo DeSumo because when you have people that can knife the defense, uh, I, 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 I go and make the comparison to Indiana. Indiana doesn't have a guy like that. And, it's, and you could say Indiana doesn't have shooters. I think Indiana has, has capable shooters, but there's no one that can get the ball in the position to take good shots. And all of that is, is predicated on guys that can play make and guys that can make passes and, and, and get, the, get the attention of the defense first. Um, I mean, I think I tweeted out a clip this morning that was, you know, it's Andre Curbelo. Yes, he goes behind the back and splits the defense. And, and, you know, there's the oohs and ahs. But it's the fact that five guys are looking at him. It's five defenders are looking at him. Justice Suing is helping off of DeMonte Williams, who's a 55% shooter. You know, uh, Aaron's is helping off or, or Dwayne Washington's helping off Adam Miller. Um, who can shoot the ball as well. And then Jacob Grandison makes a smart cut. Like it's, it's so much of what DeMonte has been able to do is attributed to Curbelo and to, uh, to Io being able to get into the teeth of the defense or else those shots just quite frankly aren't there. So um, I'm, I'm proud as heck of that guy, man. I'm proud as, as heck of DeMonte. And um, I think he's earned every bit of, you know, the, the praise that he's gotten this year. And um you know, and there, there is a little bit that's unsung to him as well. Uh, so I, I think he'll continue to write his story here in March. Brandon, do you want to comment on the guard situation in Indiana before I ask the next question? I do think that's a good point. You know, I, I watch a lot of Indiana. They they definitely don't have guys to create, but I, I honestly don't know if they have shooters either. Um, but no, they definitely don't have guards to create. And if they had a Curbelo, they could draw attention and their team might look way different, but... No, they're they're bad. They're not making the tournament, and I think we should go back to Illinois now. Well, let me well, let me say this about Indiana real quick, okay? Like, let's let's and I, I hate comparing everything to the Golden State Warriors, but I'm saying the Golden State Warriors this year, right? Like, so when you have a guy like I said, Andre Curbelo, Io Desumu, who can get into the teeth of the defense, and then all of a sudden, Demonte Williams, a 55 percent three point shooter, right? Like, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Io Desumu is a 40. You know, 41-42% three-point shooter. And and part of that is just the gravity that, that these guys command offensively. And I, I do think that Armand Franklin and, and a couple of those guys um, are capable three-point shooters. They're just not getting enough open looks, and your percentages are always going to reflect that. So, uh, I mean, think about the Warriors this year. Andrew Wiggins is shooting a higher percentage from three than, than he ever has in his career. Um, you know, same can be said about, you know, look at James Wiseman. Um, you know, there's a couple of these guys, you know, Michael Mulder shooting 40 plus percent from three, Damian Lee's shooting 40 plus percent from three. Um, and yes, Mulder's a shoot. He's just, his specialty is shooting the ball, but all those guys are getting such open looks because Steph creates that much gravity on offense. Um, and there's no surprise that like those guys end up shooting higher percentages because they're more open shots, more open shots are, are, are just naturally higher percentages. So, um, there's a, there's a couple teams in the big 10 that, that are like that. You know, it's, I mean, I think Miller cops going through that right now at Northwestern, 
Like there's, he's a great shooter. He just can't get enough open ones. Um, there's not enough guys that can get into the teeth of the defense. And, and you know, Chase Audige wants to shoot 18 foot pull-ups all game. Um, guys don't want to get downhill and create those rotations to create open shots. So um, that's something that I think is so undervalued in, in college basketball, right? You, you, you try to put together your team. You say, okay, um, we need a ball handler. We need some shooters and we need some big guys. And it's, yeah, okay, but can your ball handler really, really get guys to commit defensively? And, and what the reason why Andre Corbello is that good is because if you don't commit defensively, he's going to score. Like, he's so good. He's 49, 50% from two. Um, he's going to finish those shots. Uh, you know, on the, on the flip side of that, when, when I played at Illinois, we had what was called the spike rule, Spike Albrecht. Spike Albrecht was coming off the ball screen, but he was coming off the ball screen to facilitate, so we all stayed home. Like, when you have a guy that can do both, it's really, really hard to, to – you're caught in no man's land most of the time. Like, either you're letting him score or, you know – or you're coming off and, and you're committing too much and guys are shooting wide open shots. So that's, that's what I'm saying with Andre Corbello, man. It's just, it's, he's a luxury to have on the team, especially when you, when you couple him with, with two potential all Americans. Brandon's a huge Indiana fan. So I just like to talk, like, just give like subtle, like points of trash talk about how bad Indiana is and like how much of a mess Archie Miller has made that program as often as I can. It's just so much. I mean, look, this isn't, this isn't even, you know, this isn't even trash talk in Indiana. It's more of a point of like, you know, if you are an Indiana fan, I mean, I'd want to sit there and, and be like, okay, you know, like I know what's going wrong right now. Or like, I know, I know how we can fix it. Or I know like what it looks like when we do have somebody come in and, and can really make those plays. And um, that's what Yogi was so good at. Like Yogi yeah. was great off the dribble and could finish around the rim. And, um, and it's a reason when you look at that 15, 16 Indiana team, they had like seven guys shoot over 40% from three. Cause these guys could get downhill and create, you know, create gravity offensively. And dudes are just shooting Zeiss law. BFL was like 42%. Um, I think OG was shooting over 40%. I mean, you know, all those guys, um, so yeah, we'll get off the Indiana topic, but I, I was, it was something I was thinking about late last night. Actually, I was like, man, it, like Indiana is just one of those schools where they could really benefit from, from like a guy, from a guy like Andre Grabello. All right. So you want to get back to Illinois. We want to get back to Illinois too. You mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, I guess fans may be being ready to jump ship after Illinois loses to Ohio state. And I guess that was probably early January, late December. To me, this entire season has been like a roller coaster, Mike, like, you come out against North North Carolina anti and everything's clicking. Right. And Adam Miller makes 28 points in his first game. It's a freshman record in a debut. And then you do the same thing in the next game to Chicago state. And then you like barely escape Ohio. And then we know what happens in the rest of non-conference. You suffer a frustrating loss to Mizzou. You do an amazing thing at Duke who obviously ended up not being as good as we all thought they were going to be. And you struggle against Rutgers, you throw in the Maryland loss, you throw in the Ohio State loss, all those kind of things. And then I feel like there was a point where everyone was kind of looking at this and like, maybe we were wrong. Maybe this Illinois team isn't as good as we thought that they were going to be. Well, they proved us all wrong because now they're clearly a top five team in the country heading into the Big Ten tournament next week. So how did this happen? And you never wavered from this team being this, this is what you always said this team was going to be. Why didn't you ever waver outside of the, the they just need to mature and the younger guys needed to understand and learn their roles. Why didn't you ever waver? Well, I didn't waver because 
you know, this, this team was, you know, when you look at the pieces that they have, um, and I think part of it was thinking, you know, I was thinking more in terms of, you know, what they, what they look like December 1st has no bearing, uh, good or bad, like has no bearing on what they're, on what they can accomplish, you know, March 1st. So, um, that's the mistake that fans make at times, uh, is, you know, Hey, I'm going to judge this team December 1st. And if it's not what I think it is. And, and even the other side of it is, Hey, we're a really good team. We should beat every team by 20. Why aren't we beating teams by 20? Like, that's just not how it works. I mean, you go look at uh, you look at that Ohio win, right? Like we squeaked by Ohio, you know, I'm watching a Michigan team who's probably going to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament too. I mean, they went to overtime with Oakland who was 0 and 8 at the time and, and who finished towards the bottom, you know, I guess middle of the pack in the horizon league. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And I think, and I think, uh, you know, yes, part of it is understanding that there are guys on this team that are going to get better throughout the season individually, like Corbell is going to get better. You know, Miller's going to get better. Um, but through all of that is finding out what your identity is as a team. Um, one, all right. So one is finding out the identity and two is finding out, um, how to win and, and what it looks like to win and how to handle winning. Um, you know, and, and what expectations are for the next game and what, you know, these teams are gearing up to play you and have your name circled every single time. And, and, and that can be, you know, there, there is no time for, for letdown because every, every team that typically plays you is playing with house money. Um, so for me, um, part of it's just kind of being in those locker rooms and, and, and even just seeing those teams in the big 10 where even early on, if they're struggling, you see, man, like, they have the pieces, uh, they play really well together. Uh, you know, what are their deficiencies, right? Like, and if your deficiencies, you know, aren't necessarily backbreaking, uh, like, I mean, look, look at this Michigan state team I mean, this Michigan state team right now, they're tough. They play really hard. Um, but they're never going to have an inside presence. Like, from now to the end of the year, like that's not going to change. Uh, and that's really tough because you, you have to rely on um, the floor is always going to be really, really small offensively. And, and you're going to have to make shots and rely on making shots. So, um, you know, you look at inside out for Illinois. I mean, Kofi's really come along. I thought he struggled in that Baylor game. Um, I thought he missed a lot of bunnies against Mizzou. Like there was plenty of times throughout the year where, you know, I've been really impressed with his improvement. When you talk about an, a potential All-American this year where I think he's, he's, he's so much more improved in December. Yeah, I think he's a sophomore. Like this is, you know, and this is all new for him being on a team like this that's like, a, you know, a, a top 10 team and everybody's coming after you and you, and you are the hunted. And um, I think they've learned to embrace that, to not run from that. And um, all the while, I mean, they never left the top 25. Um, they won, they were 16 and four in the toughest conference, you know, according to Kempom all time. Um, so being able to learn from wins uh, is, is another thing. Uh, not only just have it be a loss where, you know, where, Hey, we are now we got to sit down and figure out what we did. It's like, Hey, we can learn from wins too. And, and, you know, I've Trent and I text pretty frequently. Um, and I think a lot of people possess the same mentality Trent has where, you know, him and I will text back and forth and he's like, yeah, we don't care. We want more. We want more. Doesn't matter. And, and that's lip service for, for, you know, for a lot of people, but I, I truly believe that from a guy like him, I truly believe that from a guy like Io who, you know, they truly are thinking big picture. 
um, and not getting so down on themselves after a Michigan state loss, right? Like not getting so down on themselves after Mizzou loss. And that's really what I think is, has propelled them to, you know, to be in a one seed this season and, and being the one seed that I think everybody, you know, thought they were capable of, because there's plenty of teams in college basketball that don't ever reach their ceiling uh, for a lot of reasons. That's culture, you know, that's coaching, that's, you know, players not liking each other. Like there's, there, there are so many ways for a locker room to fray um, and for dissension to happen. So, you know, that's the, the teams that are able to sustain that throughout the season. It's impressive, man. Cause not many teams are, are, are capable of doing it. So looking ahead to the upcoming week here, uh, Illinois will travel to Indianapolis for the big 10 tournament. Are there any teams that scare you as a potential matchup problem for Illinois, whether it be that Friday game or that Saturday game? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd have to see how the how the bracket shakes out. Um, you know, I, I think ultimately, you know, when you look at, I mean, a team, that, I guess, some teams that I w- I wouldn't want to see. Um, I mean, I say this saying that I think nobody wants to see Illinois. Um, yeah. Right now, uh, yeah. You know, but just just from teams that, you know, I, I think, you know, I think Maryland's a team that is just, you know, they, they have enough talent. They're long enough. They, they kind of bog you down. You know, they want to play in the sixties and, um, and they got, they, you know, they got older dudes and so that's a team that you look at in, in one of those first, you know, first couple games that, um, you know, I think they can, I think they can get a win. I'm not saying against Illinois, but you know, whoever they ended up facing, I wouldn't put it past them that they have some huge wins this year. Um, you know, but some other teams, I, I still think Rutgers is tough. Um, you know, there's still a team that uh, that's going to bring it. They've, they've just struggled just from a continuity standpoint. Um, they haven't shot the ball particularly well. Uh, they've never been a great shooting team, but um, but but I think their, their toughness tends to keep them in games. And, um, and, and I think Iowa's starting to defend a little bit better. Uh, you know, and, and I think you know, we'll see what happens with Wee's camp here, but uh, that's another thing. I mean, you can't, you can't rule out anybody just cause you know, I know Eli Brooks went down for Michigan. Crazier things have happened, man. I mean, Michigan, Michigan's team playing in 2017 crashed off the runway and they ran the table and won the big 10 championship. Um, so, you know, you, you can't just, you can't look at it that way and say, well, this team has this guy down. So they're not going to, you know, this team's not like it, it's the big 10 tournament and you know, things, you know, things can happen. Crazy things can happen. You know, we've, I lived it my, the 15, 16 year when we were atrocious and beat Minnesota in the opener Then we beat Iowa. And then, you know, you're, you're going into Purdue. And I, I remember going into that game and we were the team, we were the 12 seed playing the, the four seed or three seed Purdue. And we were just like, do we got nothing to lose? Let's go let it fly. Um, you know, Purdue, Purdue imposed their will and beat the crap out of us. Um, but you'll have teams like that who, you know, they don't want their season to end. And uh, regardless if it means they're going to the tournament or not going to the tournament, like they, you know, you're going to have seniors, right? Like you're going to have guys that are maybe playing their last game. So you can never write off really any team in the big 10 tournament. Um, you know, those teams that are playing with nothing to lose. And then the teams that are playing with something to lose are, are playing with a different sense of urgency too. So um, there's, there's no nights off once you get to once you get to March and once you get to tournament time. I think that Maryland point was a good point because obviously Maryland beat them in their only head-to-head matchup this year. And if Maryland takes care of Penn State tonight, uh, then they will be the seventh seed in the Big Ten tournament. So that could set up a potential Maryland-Illinois game on Friday. And 
something I've kind of been thinking about lately is that, especially with the win at Ohio State yesterday, I'm not sure how much the Big Ten tournament matters for Illinois because I think that if they if they lose to Maryland, I think they're still going to get a one seed. I, I really don't see a way that they lose that spot on the top line. And then in general, I just, I'm not a huge fan of conference tournaments. You know, there hasn't been a team that's won their conference tournament and then went on to win the NCAA championship since 2013. And I think with the gauntlet that Illinois just played on the road and, and all these games they had to play in a short amount of time, I'm not sure a loss uh, early earlier in the tournament is a terrible thing. Do you kind of agree with me or am I being delusional? I mean, I think that's one way to look at it uh, in retrospect. If it happens, you know, if it happens, then yeah, sure. You could say, you know, this, this may not be the worst thing. Guys get maybe a little extra rest. Um, but look, I think this is an Illinois team that thinks they should have won the big 10. Um, they have the most wins in the big 10. Uh, you know, Michigan seems to think that that was their title. Uh, you know, they won the regular season title. And I think Illinois, the, the beauty of it is they, they have a one seed locked up. Um, and yet they still have something to play for. Like, I think there's something to be said about, you know, we want to show that we can win this big 10 tournament and that, you know, the regular season title should have been ours too. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's really a storyline there, but, but I think you're right. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not a big believer in you know, even like the Michigan state game, right? Like there were people after the game, like, you know, this is a wake up call. They needed this loss. Like, I don't think you ever need a, need a loss. Um, this team's mature enough. Uh, these coaches are, are, are great coaches that, that keep them humble, keep them grounded you don't ever need a loss um, when you're this team. So, you know, yeah, I mean, you think back to 2013, you think back to, you know, I believe 2011, I think Kemba, I think they won the, the UConn won the, you know, the Big East tournament and took them all the way to the national championship. It's, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things, man. You, you take it, you take it game by game. And I don't think you ever go into a game saying like, you know, if we win, we win. If we don't, you know, it's not the worst thing. Like we may think that as fans and think that, you know, that we may know what's best, but I know for damn sure that Illinois is going to go in there, you know, hungry and ready to, you know, to win a big 10 championship. Mike, you mentioned earlier, Trent and Iowa, and we want more, we want more, whatever. And you mentioned at the beginning of that response to Brandon's most recent question about the big 10 tournament to me, like that is developed, like that has developed into the culture of Illinois and just like never being satisfied. And when Brandon and I were talking before you hopped on, you know, I kind of mentioned how hard it would be to go on and win your last four and then win what three more in the Big Ten tournament and then win six more and you're ending the year on a 13-game win streak. Like, that's really difficult. But at the same time, now that Michigan has officially lost to Michigan State in their final road game and their final Big Ten game of the year, we heard what Illinois players were saying. We heard what Brad Underwood were saying after – the Ohio State game about how they believe they're Big Ten champions. They won the most Big Ten games. I think that they really, really, really want another chance at Michigan. And I think if they get it, I think you might see a more motivated and fired up Illinois team than we've seen all year, potentially in the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, I agree. I think I hit on all points. I'm just, I just watched Michigan go down again, um, you know, to Michigan State and, yeah, I mean, I think I think Illinois exposed a lot of weaknesses there, um, you know, in terms of their game plan. You saw Michigan State doing a little bit of the same. And 
and yeah, you know, I, I think the really, really mature teams find a way to get into March and April and understand that, you know, there's plenty of time to what's the John Ross team. We sleep in May. Um, yeah. I mean, like you, you'll have time to rest. Like you'll have time to, you know, you'll have time to recuperate. You know, what you don't want is, is, you know, you lose in the, in your first game in the big 10, in the big 10 tournament. And then you get bounced in the round of 32 and you're like, man, I wish I could play 10 more games. Like, you know, there's, there's, and I have a feeling this team is going to be one of those teams that, that just kind of ends up leaving it all out there. Um, and, and just like that 2013 Louisville team and uh, just like that 2011 UConn team, like it's been done before. Um, shoot. I, I think Kemba, what Kemba, that was four games in four days, five games in five days, something crazy. Um, I think it ended up being like 11 games straight, but uh, but it's been done. And, and this team is credit, credit Adam Fletcher. They'll have them well conditioned to do this. Um, you know, but there's a lot of teams that are going to be playing, you know, quote unquote on fumes. And that, that's why that's part of it. Like, that's part of the NCAA tournament where, you know, if you're, if you're getting a little fatigued mentally and you know, once you get to the sweet 16, I mean, you think like, yeah, it's easy to get up for it. Um, you know, but you still have to stay locked in. So, and, and that, that in itself is, it's hard to do because it is taxing. And, 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 you know, the other part of it is, um, you know, you're listening to what everyone's saying about you, you know, we're getting closer to a elite eight, a final four, and this is where everybody expects us to be. And I expect this team to handle that, uh, you know, with grace and handle that with, uh, um, with professionalism, because, you know, ultimately like, let's, let's call spade a spade. There's a lot of pressure on these guys. You know, if they get like, if they get bounced in the sweet 16, like for a lot of Illinois fans, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be like a failure, um, you know, and, and, and when really, if you look 10 years ago to now, like we would have you know, cut off our left arms to get a sweet 16. Uh, it's just amazing how expectations change, but, uh, but this team embraces that and, and they're going to be a team that I think, you know, is, is going to accept that challenge and, uh, and just say, Hey, we're taking it a game at a time, right? Like we can't think about, the six games we'd have to play to win a national championship. Uh, it's, it's who we're playing now. It's, hey, it's Maryland tonight. You know, it's, it's Iowa the next night. It's, you know, it's Michigan the next night. And then you just, you keep taking it one day at a time. And then, you know, hopefully you're looking up in April and, uh, and you got some hardware. All right. So let's keep with the Big Ten tournament here real quick. Who's your pick or dark horse candidate maybe to not just, well, who's your pick to win the Big Ten tournament? And then who's maybe your, I guess, dark horse team that you could see maybe winning in a couple games if people don't expect them to win? Yeah, I guess, you know, my pick, like I said, I don't want to sound biased, but I, I do think Illinois uh, is in a position to win the Big Ten tournament. Um, that would be my pick uh, is for them to win it. I think they're, you know, the way that they're constructed, you know, is you can have multiple guys take the pressure off other guys in certain games. Like, like you could have an, an IO game. You could have a Curbelo game. You could have a Kofi game. You could have a Trent game. And I think all of that, not having just that one guy that you have to depend on every single game. Uh, that's what, that's what really good teams do in March uh, is kind of spread the love a little bit. And then once you get towards the end, like, yes, we have a guy, like we have IO and, and what in having that closer in, in these moments and not questioning like, and who, who are we going to go to at the end? Like that's, that's what a lot of college teams struggle with is like, who is that guy? Right. And then, and then at that point you just have to worry about, you know, executing, um, you know, like you obviously Illinois has to worry about executing, but you also have a guy that's just, Hey, you know what, clear out, 
he can go get a bucket. Uh, Andre Curbelo, clear out. Like, he can go get a bucket. He can go make a play. So, um, and, and then I think a dark horse, if you want to, you know, if you want to look at it that way, there's there's some teams that are trending down right now. But, um, and I'm not saying this team makes it all the way to the championship, but I think they, can, I think Purdue can win a few games. Um, you know, I think Purdue is a team that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the semis. Um, you know, or or even make it make it to a championship. I think I think Matt Painter is a great coach, and um, I really like what those freshmen are doing. I think you know, you know, the big man in the middle there is both of them, Williams, Williams, and their big dude is you know they they, they do a great job of of cycling them in and, and playing them together at times. And um, I like them; they're tough and and they guard. And uh, you know, here in March, I think they've got just enough offense too. Uh, to be able to to win some games, I think I was talking was talking to my buddy earlier today, and you know those teams that are just defensive minded in March, like it doesn't typically work out for them. Like I said before, Virginia, Virginia was the de- defensive team, right? Like uh, up until 2018, 2019, when they started to become an offensive juggernaut too, and that's when they that's when they made the the leap to being a national champion. Is you know, hey, we're not just the the defensive team because ultimately once you get to the sweet 16 once you get to the, the latter part of the big 10 tournament like all these teams can score and defend so you know you can't be one-dimensional in that sense so yeah i, I mean i i think i'd throw purdue in there um you know I, uh, another team I, I do like the way i was guarding like i said um you know so I, I wouldn't put things past them uh but like i said in terms of winning the tournament i think illinois is in in a great position and they're and they're playing just about as uh you know, probably probably better basketball than anyone right now in the Big Ten. It's funny. I agree with you on Purdue being like my dark horse. And I know Brandon said before we started recording too that like maybe Purdue wins it. And it's so funny to say Purdue being that team because they finished fourth in the Big Ten. Yeah. But that's just so funny, right? Like that's not even like a huge dark horse. But I think that shows how much respect we have for Michigan, for Illinois, for Iowa. And I guess even if you want to throw Ohio state in that group too, because those teams have been ranked in the top 10 and Purdue seemingly has just been disrespected all year and the national polls for whatever reason, but man, Purdue's scary. Matt Painter teams are scary. You mentioned that their freshmen play hard. They play fast and Trayvon Williams is just a really, really good player. I mean, here's the thing with Purdue and it's not necessarily that, you know, when you look at dark horses, it doesn't always have to be a team that's like a bottom feeder or a team that's, you know, Hey, better than people expect. Like they just don't get talked about. Um, you know, like they, they don't like Purdue just doesn't get, uh, and they've really come on here at the end. Uh, you know, but I look at, I look back at the 2012, 2013 season, my, my freshman year, uh, Michigan goes to the national championship, right? Like they were fifth in the big 10. And that, that, that's aside from this year, that 2012, 2013 year, my freshman year was insanity in the Big Ten. I mean, we were we were a seven seed in the NCAA tournament, finished eight and ten. Like it was, it's wild. Like when you when you look back and how good this league is, and especially this year, like it's 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 mind blowing. But but I think yeah, I think Purdue is a team that um, they're pretty polished on on both ends of the floor. Obviously, they'd like to to keep it a low possession game, but you know they're also they're also liable to put up 80 plus on you. Um, you know, Stefanovich, like those guys can, you know, those guys can make shots and their freshmen are tough. And 
they've got that balance of, of inside out. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a team that, that probably I, I'd say most big 10 teams probably don't want to see uh, in the big 10 tournament. It's, it's funny you brought up that Michigan team. Cause I was actually going to bring them up as an example of another team that they lost uh, on Friday in the big 10 tournament. They lost to Ohio to Wisconsin or to Ohio, they lost the four or five matchup. I'm not sure if it was Wisconsin or Ohio state, but they lost the four or five matchup. And then, you know, I like, and then they go, they turn around and go to the national championship. But no, I think you made some really good points about, um, I think like, because coming in, I was like, yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if Illinois, it's good for them to win, but I think they're going to be hungry. Like you said, they want to, they want to have some kind of trophy from this big 10 season and a big 10 tournament trophy is certainly a, a huge accomplishment. So Mike has swayed me. I now think Illinois is going to win the big 10 tournament. So, so you were, you were, you were on, like you were saying Purdue's going to win it. I woke up today and Iowa was my pick. Cause I do think they're playing better. Um, and with the Weiss camp injury, I don't yeah. know, but no, I, and then the top, the top half's tough because I think Ohio state can maybe start to turn around here. I thought they looked good on Saturday. I could turn around that four or five spot. And I thought like, like we talked about Purdue, I thought they had a case, but of course they had to get through Ohio state and even Michigan. I, I know they just lost to Michigan state, but they're still, they're still a really good team. So I was, I was all up in the air, but I'm now uh, leaning towards Illinois. I'll say this about Iowa, and, and this is this is what I'll be looking for once the Big Ten tournament starts. You got to think. So when you look at Wee's camp, so when you have these, when, all right, so Connor McCaffrey, right? He's their he's their fifth guy, and then you have the other four. You got Garza, like let's say Garza's posting up. You got Frederick Bohannon, Wee's camp, three guys that you cannot help off of. So now you know whether it's Murray or whether it's you know. I don't know, uh, Toussaint or the other McCaffrey odds are that the other guy that you are putting on the floor now instead of Wieskamp is, is probably going to be a non-shooter. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how much room Garza has to operate. Um, because I do think that, you know, if you can, if, you, if you're guarding Murray or if you're guarding, you know, if you have both McCaffreys on the floor or uh, Toussaint, like those are guys you can help off of. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he, if he gets as much space as he's accustomed to. Uh, the thing that I don't understand is I don't, I don't understand the teams that want to double Luka Garza with, with as lethal as those shooters are. Like, it's, you're kind of playing right into their hands. Uh, Garza's going to get 20-25, whether you, you know, whether you double him or not. So you might as well take away those other guys that are, that are capable of, you know, Jordan Bohannon hits eight threes the other night. And, um, you know, Wieskamp's been – been terrific this year shooting the ball from the outside and Frederick same thing I mean without CJ Frederick they were like whatever they were one and three or one and four or something so um yeah that's something that's something to certainly to certainly look at I'm, I'm it remains to be seen what the Eli Brooks injury does for Michigan but you know they went into the barn without Eli Brooks and lost by 17 to Minnesota so who knows man I mean maybe maybe you know, maybe some of these teams are taking the Big Ten tournament. If, like you said, if they lose, it's a chance for them to get healthy and, you know, get, get Eli Brooks back, get Joe Wieskamp back for, for the NCAA tournament. I'm sure that's what they're looking for, but I can't believe we're already here. It's tournament time. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you, Mike. This season flew by, and I just want to say you kind of persuaded me too because I, I don't want it to sound like this is just like the safe, easy pick, but I was probably going to pick Michigan. But, like, with the Eli Brooks injury – you just it's tough and i feel like the top of the bracket is more difficult than the bottom of the bracket just with the way teams are going to finish in the standings and 
I think Illinois just really wants it. And I think that the culture that Brad Underwood has built is why they want it so bad. Like I've had just such a tough time doubting Illinois in the last month of the season. Like I didn't think that they were going to cover against Michigan, Michigan, and they beat them by 23 points. And I picked Illinois to cover against Ohio state, but like, it's just so hard to pick against this culture that he's developed at this point. Yeah. No, I, I, that's kind of what is really wrote me in. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot to root for in the first couple of years, um, you know, for, for Brad Underwood's teams, but I'll put it this way. You know, the one thing you could always root for is like, man, they played their asses off. Yeah. They always did. Um, even when they were 12 wins, you know, 15 wins, whatever they were, you know, they were always playing hard. And that's something that, you know, not every coach can get out of their players. Um, so, you know, once you, once you bring in a little talent, you know, they, they start to buy into the culture and you're still playing as hard as they do, man, it's, it's tough to beat. And then you look at like going back to the Michigan point with Eli Brooks, it's, you know, that team doesn't have a lot of depth. They play like seven guys. Um, so it's huge when you have a guy like Eli Brooks go down, you're, you're counting on someone, whether it's Johns Jr. or, or Brown a little bit more or, or, or someone that's not really accustomed to being in that type of spot, like what that does for your offense. And, um, you know, Eli Brooks can shoot the ball pretty well too. So once again, Hunter Dickinson, like you don't have as much room to operate down there. And, and you know, you can see they kind of go as he goes at times, um, you know, so it, it, there's a lot of storylines going into this, going into this tournament. But I think it's a uh, once you get into March, it's it's just kind of a no excuses territory. Um, you know, I think back to AAU. Right, you're, you're waking up at 7:30 a.m. and flip flops on, get onto the court, play at eight, play again at ten, play again at one, play again at four. Like these dudes have done this before. Like the only way, the only way you let that bother you is if you start believing it. And I don't think these guys will start believing that you know, that they should be fatigued or they should be like, there's anything worth going after is going to take a lot out of you. Um, that just comes with the territory. So uh, I think they're more than capable of it. I think they have, chip, they have a chip on their shoulder coming to the Big Ten tournament. I think they can win the whole thing. Um, and I think once once you go into March, you know, not only the Big Ten tournament, but the NCAA tournament, you take it one game at a time. That's all you can do. Um, you know, once you start getting ahead of yourself, that's when you, you know, that's when you. Uh, that's when. It's when UMBC beats Virginia. That's when. Uh, you know. That's when Norfolk State beats Mizzou. Like, there's a lot of different uh, examples there where, uh, you know, you play these teams and you're looking ahead to making a Final Four run. But like, you can't do that unless you beat. You know, beat the teams in front of you. And and and, and there's a lot of luck involved too, in the NCAA tournament. I'm watching Loyola clinch. You know, get their turning berth today, and I'm thinking back to 2018 and how they went to a final four. I mean, if Dante Ingram doesn't hit the shot from the top of the key, they don't make it out of the first round. It's crazy. I mean, Butler going to the national championship in, in, uh, in 2011, they beat old dominion by two, like a Matt Howard tip in, in the first round. And, and like, if you don't do, if you don't win those, you know, what is, what is your history? Like, what is your legacy? And it's all like, you just have to take it one game at a time. And all of a sudden you look up, you're like, man, we're in the final four. Um, just has to be a byproduct of all the things that you do day in and day out, like even in between games. So these dudes will be ready. There's, there's for sure. I'm excited, man. Mike, you, you mentioned, you just made me miss AAU, man. Like talking about the flip-flops and hopping on the court. You just made me miss AAU. Yeah. You didn't have to stretch. You just go out there and play, man. It's crazy. <laughs> 
Facts. Uh, but no, so the last thing I'm going to ask you, and we've been asking all our guests this, and we will until this is announced, but one of the biggest debates in college basketball is Luca versus Io for Big Ten Player of the Year. Where do you stand and, and why? I mean, uh, it's really – like for me, it's a really hard argument because like I said before, there's no way for me to not come off biased. Um, I look at a guy like Luka Garza and, yes, he, I mean, he just got his number retired by Iowa. Um, and every Iowa fan is going to think it's Luka. Every Illinois fan is going to think it's Iowa. Uh, but I think when you look at what Iowa has done – this year in terms of closing out game, not just this year, he's done it every year, but this year specifically, the way he's closed out games, the way that, and, and, and really I, I'm, I'm telling you, if, if Iowa was a lock for a one seed and had the most wins in the big 10, I'd probably say Luca, but like, these are just what these awards are. Like the, the player of the year award typically goes to a team that, I mean, the NBA does it all the time. It, it's very rare unless you're Russell Westbrook and get an average of triple double. Typically it goes to the team that had the best record. Um, you know, and, and maybe you say like, Oh, that's Michigan. But when you look at the most wins in the big 10, that was Illinois. And you look at why they were able to do that. And that's IO um, closing out as many games as he closed out. Um, and then, you know, uh, you'll have Iowa fans that throw out all these numbers at you. Well, Luca, you know, his career numbers are this, you know, that's fine. And, uh, you know, and then you look at the, you know, oh, he's averaging 24 a game and, you know, nine rebounds. And that hasn't been done since, you know, this guy. And, well, on this, you can come back and say, hey, 21 points, six assists, five rebounds or six rebounds, five assists and shooting over 40% from three hasn't been done ever. Like it's never been done. No college basketball player has ever done it. So I don't understand how you can't give it to a guy like that. And it's not just the stats because I, I've, I've been, you know, there's plenty of times where I've seen guys that have put up numbers that don't really predict, like they don't, they don't impact winning, right? Like they're just kind of empty stats. And um, like, like quite frankly, if you go back and watch some Oklahoma city games from the 2016, 2017 season. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. I, I, like he was putting up triple doubles, but they weren't winning a ton of those games. I, I was team Harden, man. I was team Harden. It haunts me to this day. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, to me, it's IO and, and, and yeah, you, you may look at it as a, it's a season, it's a season award, but, I, and, and I'll say this, he may not have the best NBA career, like uh, of all line. I like, I'm not sure he's going to have the NBA career that Darren Williams had, you know, and some of these guys have had, but I, I think in terms of like the best Illini player of all time, you I, like it's IO for me. And, and, and when I say that, when I say that it, you have to factor in where this program was when he came in and what he's built it up to being and, and, and the way that he did it and just kind of the way that he galvanized this fan base and the locker room and the culture, like when you, when you relative to his impact on this era, I don't know if anybody has been a more impactful, I guess I'll say impactful line. I ever, uh, you know, Brian, you know, whoever you want to say, you know, Brian cook, D Brown, all these guys like, you know, they, they were 
they were coming into a storied tradition or like winning big 10 championships and picking up where they left off. Like Io had Io and Brad Underwood had to build this from the ground up uh, a complete rebuild to, to take it to where it's at right now to being a one seed, man. Like that's, that's unbelievable. So, um, so yeah, if, if that doesn't, if that doesn't tell you that, that my player of the year pick is Io, then, then I don't know what will he's, He's just been so fun to watch in terms of his growth and maturity and his leadership. And I, I can't say enough about the kid. Like, I don't want this to come off as disrespectful to either of the two players, but it almost feels like a disservice to not allow one of them to be recognized. And it feels like it should just be a co-conference player of the year because you mentioned everything that IO's done. He, he's going to be the only player ever in college basketball regular season history to average 20 points, five rebounds, five assists, and 40% shooting from three. No one has ever done that. Nobody. But how do you not reward Luca Garza for what he's done? Iowa's retiring his number, like, tonight. How do you not honor both of them at, for what they've done? And it's a shame that they're going to split votes. And I, I expect Garza to get it. And I think a lot of that has to probably come with the fact that his name was – kind of penciled in for it at the beginning of the year. But Io is deserves deserves votes and he deserves to have his name at least there in, in that conversation in my opinion. I'll say this, you know, if Io wins it, I'll say, yeah, he deserved that. Yeah, and me if, too. And if and if Luca wins it, I'll say, yeah, he deserved that. Like I I don't think either way, I I'm not gonna say, you know, I'm not gonna riot in the streets of if Luca wins player of the year. Um, what I, what I will say though, if you want to look at it this way as an Illinois fan is I think it's kind of a win-win like either Iowa wins it and you have the big 10 player of the year, or you have a pissed off Iowa going into going into the, the better part of March and April who thinks he should have won it. I mean, not only big 10 player of the year, but probably national player of the year. Um, so, you know, either way, man, I mean, I, I think, and I, I think Iowa, as much as he'll probably say, you know, it's about the team. I know this means something to him. You can tell it means something to him. Um, you know, and I mean something to Brad Underwood. It means something to his teammates too. Um, and, and not only, not every best player on a team has that, has that type of support. I mean, you know, there's, there's plenty of players in college bas- basketball who like probably think if they didn't have their best player, like, man, I'd be getting more shine or like, or oh, we're better off without him. So I, yeah, I mean, I think, both players are extremely deserving. I, I, I wouldn't, I would almost prefer a co a co player of the year. Uh, Cause you're really splitting hairs. Uh, you know, to me, I wish they would give it to, you know, give the nod to the team that finished, you know, finished with the most wins and, you know, and, and was a one seed, but you know, it's just kind of how it goes, man. I mean, it's, there's probably a lot of arguments you can make for LeBron getting the MVP, you know, in the NBA at times. And, you know, they just have they you know they give it to the best record. I mean, Giannis is Giannis went back to back, right? I believe the Bucks had the best record the last two years. Like it's just kind of how it goes. Steve Nash, same thing. Like they were they had the best record. Um, Steph, same thing. It's just just you know it, it's it's one of those things, dude. I you know it, it's a tough argument. I get so heated about it because I just it seems like both sides just you know will take every opportunity to shoot the other guy down. Um, but I'm really, uh, I'm really just, I'm super impressed by Luca Garza, and not only just, like, I'll say this: I don't ever watch an Iowa game, and just, he never blows me away. 
with what he does, but there's something to be said about consistently doing it every single night. Like, and he's had a couple off nights this year, but you know, for the amount of attention that he gets offensively and, and granted, you know, he can thank his teammates too, because his teammates being able to shoot the ball and spread the floor, like that helps Luca Garza. Um, you know, Jordan Bohannon is the all-time assist leader at, at Iowa. I was, I was joking the other day, like someone's got to feed Luca Garza. Right. Um, but, but yeah, man, I, I think it's, uh, I'm almost ready just to get it over with. Yeah. I just want to hear who it is so we can move on. Um, but both players are absolutely deserving. Well, my one last thing is it just makes it so much better for the rivalry that's built. And I think that's why this conversation is so interesting is because you get on Twitter and Illinois fans would be saying, well, Iowa deserves it because of the numbers that we've mentioned. But then there's Iowa Hawkeye fans that are saying, well, you should go look at Luca Garza's numbers because he's done it all year. And he didn't just start showing up in early February, late January or whatever. And like, that just makes the rivalry so much better. And if these two teams are able to play in the Big Ten tournament and Luca has the award or Io has the award, it's just going to make it that much better. And that's what makes this time of the year so exciting for college basketball. I mean, as a fan, you can't ask for you can't ask for much more, dude. It's going to be it's going to be a March and early April, and like unlike any March and early April, I mean, the, the NCAA tournament's kind of all at one place, and you know, you're and finally, you know, we have a team that that can really do this. I can really go the distance and can really uh, bring home a national championship if they, you know, if they, if they continue to play the way they're playing. That's all I've got, Mike. Really appreciate you coming on. You're one of the best. Your analysis is second to none. And uh, your conversation that we get always dive into is just something that always makes me smile. Dude, I appreciate it, man. You guys are, you guys are blessed to chat with. Thanks, Mike. Special thanks to Mike Latua for joining us once again. He is I think maybe my favorite guest, his analysis and the conversation we always get into, like I said, when we were signing off with him is always really great. Brandon, I know you're really proud of a story that you were able to write this week and uh, I'm going to let you plug it and make one final push for the Franz Wagner big time first team, first teamer, I guess is that how you say it? Big yeah, time. First, first team, big time. Uh, go ahead, go ahead and make that final, make that final campaign push before this team comes out. So I got, well, I got two pieces coming out this week on Monday. I have my big 10 beefs looking at the best feuds of the year, which there's so many Michigan, Illinois details that I couldn't include because I submitted on Friday and the beef well, it's has getting better now too. You need, literally, you need to go in there and edit it now. It is literally, it is literally getting better. The Michigan, Illinois beef. Um, it's, it's amazing. But I wrote about other minor things that happened in this year that happened in the conference. So that's a fun story. And then, yeah, uh, Earlier today, I, on Sunday, I tweeted out my Big Ten picks, which got some backlash. But I'm telling you, I sat for hours in a hotel room in Columbus and looked at all these numbers and all these things. And yeah, I, I, so I, will, I have a written column coming out on Tuesday where I explain every single pick, every single selection, every this guy over that guy. And if you still have a problem with it, that's fine. A lot of these choices were close. I mean, the Big Ten was incredibly deep this year. So many players were good. So many players were deserving, but that's what I have coming out on Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> give both of those a read. Brandon's been talking to me about them for about a week now. So give them a read. I'm not going to plug anything because I want you guys to go read those so much. And he deserves to get those read. And I know I'm going to be reading them as well. So we appreciate you guys listening to this episode of Inside the Arc. And I know Brandon and I are really happy for this time of the year. And uh, 
we're we're gonna start turning out some more podcasts hopefully as the Illini continue to make a run towards a potential final four national championship in about a month yeah we're gonna have a big time preview coming this week with I don't know who yet but you know somebody else that can talk the tournament with us we'll definitely be talking about the Big Ten tournament talking about their bracket next Sunday which is Alec, that's seven weeks away. We are seven days away from hearing the one seed in the whatever region, Illinois. Like, we're seven days away from that. So I'm excited to talk about the bracket, the Big Ten, the tournament, and everything that's coming up down the stretch. Well, and I know I'm completely ready to just completely nerd out and find a reason why Illinois can win or lose to every single team in their bracket that Sunday at about 4.45 when – one of us, if we're together at your apartment or, or sending texts, well, Illinois could lose to Northwest State Tech Institute <laughs> of whatever, right? Like in the first round. And and this is why, because this player is going to go do this and this player is averaging this, 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 and this. And that this is what, this is what we've been living for all year. And I'm so excited to get to this point. And I'm really, I'm, I can't wait, man. Yeah, me too. So thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you guys this week.